It's the Weather Channel podcast. I'm Ari Sarsalari, a meteorologist here at the Weather Channel. And uh, man, we have a uh, superstar in the meteorological community here today, Dr. Jeff Masters. He's the co-founder of Weather Underground. And, you know, for me at least, more importantly than that, he's been through some stuff when you talk about meteorology. He's, <laughs> he was in the Hurricane Hunters for a while. He was flying in those things like back in the 80s, wasn't it, Dr. Masters? Yeah, 86 through 90. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so, you know, I just recently read this blog post on Weather Underground. This was written a while ago, I would imagine, right? When did, when was this post about Hugo made? Oh, probably 1998. Okay, 98. So, Hurricane Hugo, 1989. You probably remember it, especially if you live in coastal parts of the Carolinas. I was three years old living in Rhode Island, so I don't really remember it. But this has to be... One of the most fascinating things that I've ever read before, because basically you guys were up in the Hurricane Hunter. You were flying through it. It was your job to, you know, make sure that you kept everybody safe. What, what was your what was your actual role on the plane? Like you weren't the pilot. You were the meteorologist on the plane, right? Right. I was what's called the flight director or flight meteorologist. I'm part of the crew that comes with the airplane, and I interface with the scientists that we carry on board from NOAA's Hurricane Research Division. So my job was to ensure the completion of the mission in a safe fashion and also in a meteorologically valid uh, sort of way, too, to get the objectives of the scientists. So the Hugo flight was during my fourth year of flying for the Hurricane Hunters. I'd already flown through one Category 5 hurricane before that, and that was the previous year in Hurricane Gilbert, another Category 4, some Category 3s. So I'd had 30 eye penetrations, 30 times inside the eyes of hurricanes before I did the Hugo flight. So, you know, the story that I'm going to eventually get to here, talking about this blog post, was basically they got into a lot of trouble in Hugo. Like, you guys, at, at least for me, after reading that blog post, it seems like you're lucky to be alive because it was just this this crazy event. It almost took the plane down. You lost an engine. Um, it's just absolutely nuts. But I have kind of just some general questions about the Hurricane Hunter planes in general. I'm kind of a little bit of an aviation nut, you know what I mean? Like, I don't actually fly mm-hmm. myself, but I'm super fascinated by it. I love being in airports. I love getting on planes and looking out the window and all that kind of stuff. Like, how do these planes withstand something like an eye wall? It's just mind-blowing to me. I get that they're bigger than, you know, most commercial planes. But, you know, when you're in a commercial plane, I mean, as a meteorologist, I know in general, if you're in a commercial plane and you fly into a thunderstorm, you're talking about, you know, updrafts and downdrafts, especially dangerous. It's like a suicide mission. So how do you fly into something like the actual eye wall of a hurricane where you have, like, the most intense thunderstorms that are going on and have it be a survivable situation? The big enemy of airplanes is wind shear. That means a very sharp change in the wind speed or wind direction as you're flying through it, because that'll put a torque on the airplane. So say you've got a 100 mile an hour wind blowing on your nose and a 50 mile an hour wind blowing on your tail. That's a 50 mile an hour of wind shear, and that'll torque the airplane and cause it to violently move around. So you want to avoid that kind of situation, which means you stay out of thunderstorms over land, because they're the most turbulent they have the highest levels of wind shear. We were not allowed to fly into hurricane eye walls when they were over land. But over the water, the, the big ocean areas, the turbulence is less. You don't have such violent updrafts and downdrafts and wind shears, even in the eye wall of a hurricane. So it is safe to fly through the eye wall of a hurricane, provided you do it at a high enough altitude because things get rougher down low. Right. And I was reading about some of these stories where 
you know, maybe people don't know, but there are, you know, Hurricane Hunter flights that have gone down, not in the really modern era, I guess, depending on what your definition of modern era is. But, you know, what was the last one in the 70s? Yeah, 1974, the Air Force lost a plane in the Pacific. And before that, uh, I think there were, what, a couple in the 50s? I mean, what was it, a total of six or seven of those planes that have gone down in the past, right? Yeah, a total of six Hurricane Hunter air air flights never returned, only one in the Atlantic, and that was way back in 1955 from really an airplane that should not have been flying into hurricanes. It was underpowered. They were flying at maybe 600 feet altitude, not safe. Yeah, I mean, a downdraft itself, like a quick downdraft, could take a plane down a couple hundred feet in a few seconds anyway, right? Yeah, we would commonly see downdrafts of, uh, we have an excursion of about 500 feet, where the pilot would try and keep the aircraft straight and level, and he couldn't help it. We would go down 500 feet. Okay, so Hurricane Hugo, 1989, uh, how far off the coast was this hurricane? Like, what part of its life cycle was it in? Was it big and powerful at the time, or was it still developing? I think it was pretty big at that point, right? Hugo was one of these Cape Verde-type storms. It formed off the coast of Africa near the Cape Verde Islands, and then it came east towards the Lesser Antilles, oh, at about, you know, 500 or so miles per day. And since it's way out over the ocean there, airplanes can't reach it when it's in the early stages of its life cycle. So we were actually the first aircraft to intercept the hurricane as it came towards the Lesser Antilles Islands. We were based in Barbados and we flew out, oh, about 300 or so miles to see what the hurricane was up to. At the time, we had an estimate that it was a Category 3 hurricane based on satellites. But we didn't really know because we were the first hurricane hunter. And that's why you send hurricane hunters in. They're a lot more reliable than satellites as far as determining the strength of a hurricane. So what did you guys, like, what what was the vibe that day in general? I just kind of want to hear the whole story of that day. I mean, you can basically just kind of, like, tell me how it all went down. Basically, you guys got into a lot of trouble. Uh, the plane almost went down. Like, how did it all pan out? So we took off from Barbados and we were planning on doing a two-plane mission. These were the two NOAA P-3 Hurricane Hunter aircraft designed to do research missions. And I was on the inner airplane. We were going to fly through the core of the hurricane, and the other airplane was going to be looking at the storm with its Doppler radar from the periphery. And we were doing a specialized experiment that was designed to look at the boundary layer. That means the part of the hurricane that's close to the ocean surface where all the action is. And if you want to make a reliable intensity forecast for a hurricane, you really have to understand what's going down at low levels. And we don't have a very good picture because it's unsafe to gather data down there and it's hard to do that. Satellites can't see down there. The hurricane hunters generally don't go down there because it's not safe. But in this case, we were pushing the limits of safe flying. We were deciding that we're going to go in at 1,500 feet, which is a lot lower than you usually do in a hurricane. Uh, Nowadays, there's rules that you can't go below 10,000 feet in a hurricane, uh, in part because of this Hurricane Hugo flight. So we designed the experiment that we were going to go in at low altitude. Actually, we'd done it the previous week in another Category 3 hurricane named Gabrielle. We got away with it and we said, hey, you know, let's do this. So let's get a twofer. Let's go and get another set of data at low altitude in a hurricane. This is going to be great. basically, right? (laughs) Yeah, we got a little cocky. So, you know, we started uh, our mission out there, and unfortunately, right away as we were heading towards the storm, our radar failed. So we didn't have a very good look at what the storm was looking like at this point. And we were orbiting around, uh, getting impatient, burning fuel, and the the scientists are chomping at the bit. Come on, let's go. Let's let's do this. And finally, our, our radar came up, 
And uh, we didn't really, since we were kind of rushed at the time, we were very close to the storm already. We didn't really look at the radar in great enough detail to ascertain the structure and intensity of Hugo. And our big mistake that we made at this point was not realizing that we had left the radar calibrated for the previous week's storm. And the echoes in the radar were actually off scale, which means you couldn't tell how strong Hugo was. They were geared towards a weaker storm that we had seen the previous week. Oh, okay. So that was kind of the fatal error there. Well, almost fatal error. You guys ended up, uh, (laughs) I'll ruin the end of the story. They ended up, you know, getting out of there safely, but uh, not without a crazy story. So, okay. So I didn't know that you um, calibrated the radar differently. I mean, to me, and, you know, I've got a lot of experience in radar meteorology, you know, uh, you know, 50 dBZ is 50 dBZ. Like what, what kind of calibrations uh, do you do differently? That's right. We had the top end of the scale set to 50 dBZ and Hugo was actually more like 60 dBZ. So we didn't really see that it was a lot more intense than what we had gone through the previous week. So you saw basically this big area of red, but there actually should have been right. a little purple in there for, for the people that are listening. That uh, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe we would have been a little more uh, hesitant about going in at low altitude if we'd seen that, whoa, this thing's really got some echoes there. So you guys roll into that thing at 1,500 feet. And are you, when you're penetrating an eye wall, are you looking for kind of a weak spot in the radar echoes? Like maybe, uh, maybe this is a spot where it's about 35 dBZ. This looks like a little bit of a less intense part of the storm uh, we can maybe get through here. Or do you want to go through the worst part of it so you can get the best measurements? You do want to go through the worst part of it because that's the whole point of being in a plane in a hurricane is you want to find out how strong this thing is, the, the maximum strength. But the trick is to do it in a safe way. So there are occasional times when we will bail out and not go through the worst part of a hurricane. Uh, this had actually happened to me several years before that when uh, we just got roughed up so bad, we were hitting three Gs of acceleration in in a Category 3 hurricane off uh, of the Dominican Republic, that the pilot just said, you know, we got to go home. We just had an aerodynamic wobble in our wing. Uh, It was fluttering like it was going to rip off, and and let's go home. And I said, okay, yeah, we're out of here. How scary Uh, is that? Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine? (laughs) Well, yeah, you can. You've been in it. But, I mean, just from a regular person who, like, sits on a commercial plane, I remember I flew to France a couple of years ago, and you're flying over the North Atlantic, and some of these, I, I like a little turbulence because I get a kick out of it. I, I know that these planes are taken, they're made to take a lot of abuse, you know. But it still just makes you a little uncomfortable, especially when you're not the pilot. There's something just about not being the one that's in control and not really knowing enough about the situation. Like, oh my gosh, is that a bad enough thing to take a plane down? <laughs> now, of course, you know, in general, turbulence is not going to take a plane down. But, um, man, I mean, you guys just have to, you, you've dealt with these you know, these big dives. And uh, when you get hit by updrafts, does it kind of lift the plane up like crazy too? Oh, yeah. The updrafts are usually stronger than the downdrafts. I can remember in Hurricane Gilbert when it was a Cat 5, we hit an updraft that just took us a thousand feet higher into the air, even though the pilot was trying to keep us straight and level. Jeez. Okay. So that's the other interesting thing that I think about. You know, you mentioned this earlier, how it's the, the shearing wind kind of torquing on the plane. That's the bad thing that you can encounter. But you know, I think a lot of people just think about this as like straight line wind, right? They're not thinking as much about the 
the up and down direction of the wind. They're just thinking about the horizontal direction. You you know, you watch on the Weather Channel, you see the tropical update, and you see, okay, this is uh, Hurricane Patricia. It has sustained wind of 180 miles an hour, and you're just thinking to yourself in your head, so there's a plane that's been, like, flying into that when the wind is 180 miles an hour. So say you're a plane and you're flying directly um, into a headwind of, like, 100 miles, you know, 100, 180 miles an hour. Is that, like, planes can deal with that, right? Sure. I mean, you do that all the time when you're flying on a transcontinental jet. You're in jet stream winds that are very often 150, 200 miles per hour, either as a headwind or a tailwind. Yeah, that's a really good point that a lot of people don't think about, I think. All right, let's get back to uh, this day, Hurricane Hugo. So you guys decided you're going to pop in there at 1,500 feet. And uh, what happens when you get into the eye wall? So when you get into the eye wall, you're committed because the turbulence and the winds are so extreme that the pilots basically have to just maintain straight and level flight. They're not going to worry about climbing. You really can't bail out at that point and turn around. The maneuvering is hard to do. So, okay, we we hit the eye wall. And the first thing that happens when you hit an eye wall is the plane starts to vibrate. You know, you you get some turbulence, you get these updrafts and downdrafts. And now the way you're doing it, is you're going in perpendicular to the wind, okay? You're not trying to fly directly into the wind or downwind, you're going perpendicular to it. And you're trying to crab the aircraft over so that you know the nose is not pointing straight ahead, it's pointing at an angle upwind so that you can go perpendicular to the wind. Okay, so the, the pilot you know, steers us over so that we're, we're crabbed into the wind by about 30 degree angle, something like that. And it gets very dark because you've got all these very heavy with moisture clouds all around you. You can see water streaming off the windows. And a bad thing to do is to look at the wingtips because you see those rocking up and down, up and down. And the plane's starting to take, you know, some pretty good turbulence here. We were hitting uh, maybe one and a half G of acceleration, something like that. And the winds came up to uh, 140 miles per hour right away. And so we said, oh crap, Uh, this is a cat four which is not good. You shouldn't be in a cat four at 1500 feet, but hey, we're committed. We got to fly into the eye where it's calm before we can do anything. (laughs) So it's about a two minute ride through the eye wall. So for two minutes, we were just sitting there looking at the dials, looking at those wind numbers. They're getting higher, 145, 150, 160, 165 miles per hour. Okay, now we're in a cat five and we're sweating bricks. We're saying, oh crap, you know, and we're in a cat five at 1500 feet. That's not good. And now we're getting hammered pretty good. The updrafts are pushing us up so that you're weightless briefly, zero Gs. And then you get slammed down with two Gs with another downdraft. And now things that we didn't tie down so well in the cabin are starting to pop loose. You know, a, a Coke can, a, a clipboard, a few pens are flying around. Uh, nothing serious, but uh, we're not through yet. We're but, only halfway through. We're a minute in, got a minute to go. This is different than a normal eyewall penetration, right? I mean, this. You, oh, yeah. you guys know that, oh boy, we may have screwed up here. Like, this is worse than usual, right? Oh, big time, okay. yeah. And, and now the pilots are having trouble controlling the aircraft. It takes two of them to fly the aircraft in this sort of situation. One is just trying to maintain straight and level flight. And the other is maneuvering the throttles to keep us from stalling. So he's maintaining the engine speed, you know, gunning us forward when we got a little bit of a tailwind and pulling us back in the opposite case. And they're having trouble because uh, the the turbulence is getting extreme now. Now we're hitting three Gs and minus one Gs. And now it's getting a little bit dangerous in the cabin. We're getting some things that are flying around that aren't good to have flying around. 
uh, like a, a flight bag from my uh, navigator is uh, gone airborne once. Uh, and some things from the galley are starting to pop out. Uh, but still, uh, nothing super duper dangerous. I'd been through turbulence once like this before. Uh, that was a mission we actually turned around, like I was telling you about. But okay, now we're almost there. You know, we're a minute and 45 seconds in. We only got 15 seconds to go. It's starting to get light out because the eye is in front of us where the sun is shining and, and the calm air is. And I'm like, yeah, it's light out. Hallelujah. We made it through. Category <laughs> five hurricane at 1,500 feet. Epic. Yeah. And then disaster. We hit the most extreme updraft and downdraft areas ever been counted by the hurricane hunters and survived. We had an updraft of about 40 miles per hour, followed by a downdraft of 20 miles per hour, followed by an updraft of about 30 miles per hour, all in the space of seven seconds. Mm. And that's an incredible amount of wind shear. You can just think about the, the different winds on the tail and on the nose of the aircraft. It's bucking up and down. And now at the same time, in the horizontal, the winds went from cat five down to about 70 miles per hour. And that's wind shear in the horizontal. Now the airplane's skidding through the air, you know, kind of being twisted. So it's being twisted in two directions. And during the most extreme part of that turbulence, we hit five and a half Gs of acceleration in the down, minus three in the up. And our 200-pound life raft broke loose from inside, hit the ceiling, bent the metal, inch-thick metal bar on the ceiling. Oh a computer gosh. tore loose from its moorings, carved a gash in the ceiling. The ice chest in the galley tore loose. Ca cans of Coke and ice are flying around. The engineer's tool chest came open, and there's uh, knives and hammers flying through the air. Just a miracle nobody got injured with all that stuff flying inside the cabin. And also at that moment, the uh, pilot lost control of the aircraft because the number three engine burst into flame and we start diving towards the ocean. Now, like I said, we were only 15 seconds from the eye and just on momentum, we popped into the eye where it's calm and the pilot was able to pull the, uh, the lever on the number three engine to extinguish the fire and he pulled us out of our dive and we were 880 feet above the 50 foot high waves inside the eye of Hurricane Hugo at so that point. So you were basically kind of looking down, like when you looked out the window, you were seeing what uh, Tom Hanks was seeing in Castaway at the beginning of the movie, right? Like <laughs> you're going down toward the ocean and you're like, and not only that, as if that's not bad enough, the uh, the engine's completely on fire. I mean, you probably had a, did you have like a legitimate moment where you thought like, I'm this is it, I'm actually going to die? I was praying, man. You know, I was thinking to myself, <laughs> this is what people in battle feel like, you know, when the bullets are flying and, uh, you know, it, it's just a very uh, existential moment. <laughs> is this sure. the end of existence sort of moment, you know? Right. I figured uh, And uh, like the human body it. has all that stuff built in where you get all this adrenaline. I find all that stuff fascinating too, the, the fight or flight kind of deal. But so you guys barely make it through. You said he f extinguishes the fire. So at least that's gone. And you end up with what, one engine gone? Or you said there was, I think there was also some debris or s something looked wrong with the fourth engine. So you had two engines on the left side of the plane. Engine three, the one closer to the window was the one that was on fire. They extinguished that fire. And then there was engine four, which was farther away. And it looked like something was wrong with it, but you guys weren't sure, right? We could look out the window and we saw on the other engine there, there was something hanging down beneath from the edge of the engine below the propellers. And it was waving back and forth. And what it was, it was a piece of rubber called a de-icing boot that is on the edge of the engine to help with the de-icing process when you've got ice uh, you know, affecting the airplane. 
And so our concern was that loose piece of rubber was going to tear off and get in the propeller or in the the turbo part of the engine and, and you know cause that number four engine to go out. But there wasn't a whole lot we could do about it at the at the moment because now we were still in a serious situation. We're in the eye. We're not sure where we are in the eye. The pilot looks ahead of us and he sees dark clouds and he's like, you know, oh crap, is that is that the eye wall? Uh, hey, I better turn us so that we don't hit the eye wall. So he turns us very sharply to the right, which as it turned out was the wrong thing to do because we'd popped in on kind of the right side of the eye. And now he's got to make this really tight turn to keep us in the eye, keep the left wing out of the eye wall. And this is a bad thing because uh, the engine or the wing that he has pointing down is the the wing that's missing one of the engines and it's underpowered. And now the uh, the number four engine, which is, you know, got some damage to it, is starting to go into the red zone. We're, We're overtaxing it. And uh, they're worried that it's just going to overheat and blow. So uh, he re- relaxes the, the turn a little bit. But now we're, we're not doing a sharp enough turn to keep us in the eye. We're going to go in the eye wall. So we, we put one of our wings in the eye wall. And now the winds rise to like 90 miles per hour. We start getting some bumps. And the pilot says, oh, forget this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a chance that uh, that engine will hold together. And he banks us over. It's about a 30-degree angle. It was very uncomfortable. That's and, a pretty tight uh, angle keeps for, us in. for people that don't know. I mean, you know, what... Like a fairly t- a fairly tight turn in a commercial aircraft where you're like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm almost gonna like fall into the water here. Like how 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 many degrees would that be? You're talking like ten, fifteen. Yeah, degrees? maybe fifteen. Okay. So it's double what the tightest turn you'll get in a commercial aircraft is. Jeez, and this is just a huge plane too. Um, okay, so eventually does does so basically you guys have to stay in the eye. All you know is like you're in survival mode right now, and you need to come up with a plan to somehow get through that eye wall again to get out of it. Now. What level are you guys at at this point? Are you still down at like 800 feet or whatever? Yeah, we're about 900 feet. Uh, and after after he did that little maneuver to uh, keep us out of the eye wall, then we were able to uh, more comfortably start orbiting the eye. We, we centered ourselves so that we were in the middle of the eye, which was about 10 miles in diameter. So we had to keep turning because you want to stay in a, a nice a spiral pattern to try and climb an altitude and get to a safer, higher altitude where there's less turbulence. And you're turning right, correct? Because you don't want the damaged wing to be facing down? Uh, actually, the damage was on the right wing, so we're turning oh, left okay. at I'm this sorry. point. okay. I'm I thought the damage was on the left wing. Okay, so... You... Well, left, right, doesn't matter. Yeah, you, you do the opposite of, of what you... <laughs> where, where the bad engine is. Okay, so how did you... Like, so a lot of people might be thinking, okay, can you, is it possible to just get over the hurricane? If you, if you have to go through this wall and you can't get through it because you know it's going to be too intense with the wind, can you just climb up really high and, and get out of there? Like, what did you guys do? The problem with the type of airplane we're in is a four engine turboprop and their maximum altitude is about 25,000 feet. And the eye wall of a hurricane can go to 40,000 feet. So there's no way you're gonna be able to climb up and over the eye wall. You've gotta penetrate it. So the idea is to penetrate it at the highest altitude you can. So we were thinking, okay, yeah, well, let's climb to 25,000 feet and do that. Well, there's three problems with that. Number one, you're missing an engine. So you've only got three quarters your usual power. Number two, you're in a low pressure system. So you've got less air. The air pressure was down around uh, 915 millibars, which is uh, wow. you know like 90% of normal. So you've got 10% less lift. And uh, number three, you're in a bank angle, and then you can't climb as well if you're banked over. You have to be flying straight and level to do your best climbing. So we said, well, okay, let, let's dump some fuel. So we dumped out half of our fuel load into the ocean, I don't, like 30,000 pounds of jet fuel. 
And we checked out all of our scientific probes, $10,000 worth of drop sounds and air or, uh, ocean current measurement wow. devices went in the ocean. But even after all that, we were still only able to get to 6,000 feet. That was our max altitude. So you had to find a way to get back through this eye wall to get out, and 6,000 feet was about as good as you were going to be able to do. Now, I, was, I remember when I was reading the blog, you were talking about there was another Hurricane Hunter plane that came in the eye wall, came into the eye with you guys to, what, do some checks on your plane and make sure that fourth engine was okay? That's right. There was an Air Force Hurricane Hunter aircraft that came into the eye. They came in at 10,000 feet, and then they spiraled down to our altitude, and we asked them, hey, you know, can you check us over and see if there's any other damage to our aircraft? And the two pilots did this really amazing close flyby, just like 100 feet apart, in the eye of a Category 5 hurricane. What a story. It's only 10 miles in diameter. Yeah. And the, the Air Force air pla- air aircraft gave a couple passes by, and they said, you know, uh, we don't see any uh, other damage to you other than, the, you know, obviously the number four engine's got that piece of rubber hanging off it. That's unbelievable. Okay, so that was almost like a... That was almost like a Saving Private Ryan mission, you know? They were probably like, oh, man, I got to go all the way through this eye wall just to check on this other plane. <laughs> <laughs> but they got in there. They checked you guys out. And then did they end up escorting you out? Like, how did you all get out, and how was the other plane involved in it? We asked them if they would pretty please find a soft spot in the eye wall for us at our altitude. Normally, they only go in at 10,000 feet, and they were down at 6,000 feet in the Category 5 hurricane, penetrating in and out of that eye wall for us multiple times to find a soft spot. Wow. So they, w- they went out the, the east side, and uh, they took like three Gs of acceleration, and they radioed back and said, don't do the east eye wall. <laughs> then they came back in through the south eye wall and had a similar story. You know, yeah, 200 mile an hour winds, don't do that one. And uh, then at that point, we were like, uh, you know, we've been in the eye an hour, guys, and uh, we're getting low on fuel because we dumped half our fuel. I hope you find a soft spot soon because uh, we're going to have to get out of here. Yeah. So they said, well, you know, uh, button down. Uh, we'll try the north eye wall. You know, if you look at our radar, it looks like maybe there's kind of a, a gap there in the eye wall. And uh, they punched out through the north eye wall and they said, you know, that wasn't too bad that time. You know, we, it was less than two G's of acceleration. And even though the winds were near 200 miles per hour, there wasn't much updraft and downdraft action. So not a lot of turbulence. Why don't you try it? And we said, okay, we're going to do it. So we uh, got everybody in their seats. Uh, We had a bunch of people roaming around inside the aircraft during that whole hour, uh, putting things away that had, you know, broken loose and torn free because we didn't want to have them flying around the cabin again. Uh, Stuff we couldn't figure out what to do. We just, you know, opened up the loo and tossed it in there and slammed the door. And uh, then we put our seatbelts on and, and prepared for, you know, hopefully uh, a, a safe and smooth ride through. And uh, that's exactly what happened. The Air Force plane was absolutely right. There was kind of a gap in that eye wall there and uh, the turbulence wasn't too bad. So we, we got through the eye wall, uh, ferried home the hour to Barbados and uh, our sister aircraft, the no aircraft, uh, f- you know, went with us to make sure, you know, we didn't go splashing in the ocean. Uh, and as it turned out, while we were flying through um, the eye wall on that uh, second pass through, that uh, propeller boot, the uh, de-icing boot that was hanging loose in the number four engine, tore loose and did not get in the engine, thank goodness. So we didn't have to worry about that anymore. And uh, when we got to Barbados, you know, they had all the emergency vehicles out waiting for us in case we, you know, smacked down and had any other damage. But it turned out that wasn't the case. Uh, the pilot did have some trouble with the landing because we were missing an engine and he had to you know, gun the, uh, 
the throttles more on one side than the other. And he yeah. put up a little cloud of smoke uh, as as he came in, but not too bad. And <laughs> it's the least of your problems at that, that point. And that was that. We were we were safe on the ground, and uh, that was my final flight well, with the Hurricane Hunters. Was it, so yeah, and and that's what I want to know. Like after that, were like was it so? Um, what's the word for it? I'm trying to think of it. Was it was it just such a brutal experience that you felt like you couldn't do it anymore, or were they like, hey, you didn't keep everybody safe, you're relieved of your duties? <laughs> like what was it? <laughs> yeah, there there was a inquiry afterwards, and, and I was grounded while they figured <laughs> out what went wrong, uh, and also uh, that aircraft was grounded. We put it in uh, depot level maintenance, which means they they flew it to Jacksonville and they x-rayed every single rivet on there that you know, went over it with a fine-tooth comb to, to look for structural problems. Uh, it turned out they didn't find any. The only thing that they found wrong with it was the the fuel controller on that that engine that blew had failed. Uh, you know, they're not sure why it failed, but I would imagine turbulence had something to do with it. Yeah, probably. Uh, so did they use so, it after that still? Oh, yeah. It's still flying. That airplane's still flying. It got re-winged last year. They put new wings on it. Uh, it had been in service since 1975. And they decided that, well, it's been flying long enough in so many hurricanes that it's time to put new wings on. Did Do you credit those uh, the other Hurricane Hunter plane for maybe saving your guys' lives? I mean, it seemed pretty heroic what they did, just flying in and out of it over and over again. I mean, I know these planes do this, and, you know, <laughs> there's some guys that probably work in the Hurricane Hunters that kind of live for it. You know, you got to have a certain amount of crazy in you to do some of this stuff, I think. But, you know, what do you think would have happened if there wasn't another one around and you were stuck in the eye and you just had to take a guess at one of the eye walls? Because I'm guessing, was your radar out at that <laughs> point or was your radar still working? No, the radar was working, so okay. we probably would have picked the least troublesome area of the eyewall to go through. So I think we still would have made it, but, uh, you know, it sure did feel good to have them in there helping us out, and they certainly increased our odds of survival. That's amazing. So you said that was your last Hurricane Hunter flight, and did we get to the reason for that yet? Was it just too much, and you were like, okay, that was a little scary, I can't do this anymore? <laughs> well, uh, probably the main reason, I was willing to go up again. Uh, the main reason that it didn't happen is it was getting near the end of the season, and we had just taken one of our aircraft out of service, so we only had one aircraft left, and we had three crews. So with me being evaluated as to how I did there, we still had two crews to fly the rest of the season storm, so I just didn't make it on the schedule. Yeah, I, I would love to be on a Hurricane Hunter flight one time. I, that's one thing where I might like, you know, use use a little bit of my... The, the little tiny bit of, like, stature that I might have in the meteorological community. Like, hey, at least I, like, work for the Weather <laughs> Channel. Like, maybe maybe could I possibly get on a Hurricane Hunter flight at some point? That would be really cool. Oh, but yeah, absolutely you could. You yeah, journalists, so? they, they hit journalists up all the time. Yeah, just go contact my old boss and get on the list. You can, you can get, get on. Okay, I know what I'm doing directly after this podcast. Um, <laughs> Dr. Masters, seriously, this is just an amazing story. It, I, I'm not one that reads a lot. I don't read very often, and, you know, I have some friends that get on me for that, but I'm just not a reader. Like, I don't like to read. Like, show me the movie. I don't want to read the book. But, man, that was a read that I could not put down. I was just glued to my computer, and anybody that was trying to talk to me, um, too bad, because I was in it. So if you want to read this thing, and you just heard the story, but it's on the Weather Underground blog, which is called the Cat 6 blog, uh, Dr. Masters um, writes on there, along with Bob Henson, another great meteorologist, and there's just that... It's just the pinnacle of weather blog. They, they somehow find something like almost every day to write about that is uh, interesting and fascinating. And 
you know, they'll take something that on the face doesn't look like it's that interesting, but they'll get into the nitty-gritty of it, and it actually does become interesting. And it's not only for the meteorologists, because when I read it, I love it, obviously, but I think it's um, a really unique blog because, you know, an outsider, maybe a non-meteorologist can just read it and be like, oh, this, this is really interesting. This is good stuff. Thanks again, Dr. Masters. If you like the podcast, maybe give it a good review. Feedback is always good. Subscribe if you like it, too, and uh, we'll see you back here next time. Thanks again, Dr. Masters. Have a good one. Thank you.